Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They have overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome to this episode of Uplifting Women podcast. This is Kristen Strunk. And this is Holly Tesca. And we can't wait to introduce you to Nancy Parsons in our episode titled, Be True to Yourself. In our interview, you will hear about Nancy's background, but we wanted to share a couple of things that we found really fascinating about our discussion. In our conversation with Nancy, she really focused on us as individuals doing the right thing. And you'll hear a couple stories from her where she reemphasizes that particular message. In that message, she also talks to us about how do you, as an individual, as a woman, really understand those things about knowing yourself and getting to understand those things that are important to you. I'm really curious, Holly, what did you take away from this episode? Yeah, I think it was important, Nancy's message around knowing your strengths and understanding what your development opportunities are. You know, we hear a lot about leaning into our strengths or stepping into those strengths. And there are assessments out there that can help you to know where you lean um, naturally and some of the challenges that we um, come up against. And it's really important to, to understand those things. Above all, though, I think Nancy's message around find what you love and do that, whether that be a career or owning a business or maybe even volunteering or starting a movement. Men and women are equally qualified to be leaders. They just do it a different way. So find what works for you and create the life that you really want. I am excited to introduce you to Nancy Parsons. Nancy is the CEO and president of CDR Companies. She has been a thought leader in executive coaching for a number of years and was the 2019 MECO International Thought Leader of Distinction in Executive Coaching recipient. She continues to break barriers in this field. She has authored two books, over 70 articles, and presented to groups globally. She has also built Vets Coaching Vets, a philanthropical initiative helping veterans accelerate their success in the job market. She is going to be sharing all of this information with you and links to her books in our show notes. So please be sure to check those out. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today, Nancy, and I would love to understand a little bit more from you about what started you on this journey of uplifting women. 
Yeah, I think just because of my early journey, how tough it was. And I also was in HR was my early background. So obviously I was helping from the, what we called EEO diversity standpoint back then. So it was always a passion to help women, to help minorities and just to, you know, really help people develop. Long ago, when I was even in my HR career, we used to do individual development plans at Pipeline for everyone in the organization. We took it top to bottom in terms of helping people develop. So I think just developing people, developing talent, it's just evolved into my passion. I mean, early on, though, I was an HR generalist, so I was doing a lot of firefighting. What I realized towards the later 80s so, uh, was that I, I really loved the leadership development side and not so much labor negotiations or other, you know, hiring, firing sorts of things <laughs> and gravitated to the development side of the table. So, mm-hmm. so that's so, how I started. So when you think about leadership development and the role of uplifting women over your work and your career, what are some of the key things that you have noticed from a leadership perspective that impact women's ability to move forward in the workplace? Okay. I really think this is going to sound odd. We have a lot of obstacles out there. Women, they do. However, I think that women have to step up and take ownership and not give up, persevere and be brave. And those times we're going inside our head, you know, I just think we can own it if we want to. We can make it happen. And even in our research, we found that women tend to worry too much. Meanwhile, the men are being kind of too aggressive, overly aggressive. That's viewed as leader-like, even though it can be very ineffective. Meanwhile, the women can be the more effective leaders. They become invisible. We can't be invisible. We can't keep our mouths shut. We have to learn how to assert ourselves in the tough times. Uh, And also, you know, how to keep moving forward, build alliances, and not give up. Um, And even today, I mean, I know back, obviously, when I started in the late 70s and and so forth, it was really different than it is today. But I can tell you, I know from coaching different women today, they still have obstacles, you know, that that shouldn't necessarily be there, but they are. So I think that that idea of believing in yourself, pushing forward and not letting some of these external things get you down too much. You have to be really careful. Nancy, I got to say, you know, I'm just about finished reading your book, Women Are Creating the Glass Ceiling and Have the Power to End It. I was even struck by the title. You know, I was involved in a clubhouse conversation a few Saturdays ago where we talked about about women and the fact women don't always help other women. And where does that come from in terms of, is it because there's a scarcity of what you see? So my gosh, there's only one woman on the executive committee. So if I, so if I want to be on the executive team, I've really got to elbow my way up there and not support other women. I'd be interested in your perspective of that and some of the research that you've done. Yeah. And so we also, in our research, so we looked at the big pool of women the mid-level managers and directors and so forth tended to have these high scores as warriors under the risks. But first of all, under their character, under their strengths, men and women are equally qualified to serve as leaders. So they both have great, great profiles. But where we found the differences were the risks. So the, the majority of women tend to be warriors, the ones that kind of get stuck, right? We also looked at CEO women and exec, corporate executive women. 
Now, the CEO women who are running their own businesses or at the top, they had the same risk profiles being egotists, upstagers, and rule breakers as men, believe it or not. So there's natural women that are like movers and shakers and get out of my way, even under stress. And risks show up more under stress and pressure. Those women succeed as CEOs. Now, the corporate executive women's, they tended to be upstagers. So while they still had some worrying, they were able to stay communicating during tough times, you know, asserting their views. So I would say to your point, Holly, why aren't women helping other women? Some of them are these egotists, upstagers and rule breakers. So they're moving and shaking and they're they're more concerned with their own success than the success. And, you know, that's the nature of who they are. They're so competitive and so hard driven that they're not like worrying about pulling people with them, pulling other women with them. I think that's a part of it. It's hard to say why women don't really help each other enough. And that is true. Um, I think it's getting better. We see all these networks and we're starting to see movement there. You know, there's different industry networking groups, which is wonderful. So I think it's changing, but I have to agree. Sometimes women just go off and, and they make they're successful and they're not necessarily mentoring and bringing others with them. You know, it's just worrisome. I'm kind of a helper by nature. You know, I I give up doing fun things for me because I want to do other things for other people. And I guess I'm, you know, I've had a few really great female leaders in my past, but I've also had some really bad ones. Right, right. You know, and um, so I've spent, you know, 2020 is the year we've all spent contemplating life and (laughs) what's coming and Um, You know, it's just, it's a curiosity for me as to how do we continue to foster this collegiality among women to help each other, because the more women that we get into the workplace, the more diverse the workplace is, the better it is for solving problems. Right. And we start changing the culture. Exactly. But if we're just kind of on the outside, or if there's just one, two of us, that's not enough to make changes. So I agree with you. And, I, and I'm like you, I want to help. So I'm always, even in my early days, I was always hiring female engineers, female managers, you know, way before anybody else thought of it. I was out recruiting other women, you know, in those operations because often they, they, they excelled and um, it just made sense to me. So, yeah, I think we have, not, but you have to understand uh, some people, leaders in particular, aren't all as supportive, helpful and have this high interpersonal interpersonal sensitivity that we have because mm-hmm. we are called to help others, right? A lot of leaders have lower scores than that. They tend to be uh, more focused on the work, the business versus the people, you know, and that's just their mindset. So we do have, to, we have to help them along because they're not as natural at it as we are. So that's, that's the value in having diverse teams, really understanding that people are the most important asset a company has and the right people obviously are. So until we get companies to really embrace that in a, in a real way, not just say the words, right? That's what we ha- I think we have to keep pushing for. So I think along the line, there was something that stood out to me in doing some research um, on your book and some of the things that were highlighted and, and really brought forward for me. And one of the things that st- stood out was this concept that it's going to take approximately 400 years to attain 50% of Fortune 500 CEO positions for women. Right. And so I look at that and I think to myself, holy cow, this is a problem. And so my question for you is really around not only how do we help support other women, but what what do we do in the meantime to speed up 
that process and really help frame it differently, not only for women, but for men or boys, even as we get a little bit further into that process? Great question. And so the whole point is, we've got to change what we've been doing for the last 40 some years since the Pregnancy Act went into effect, because it's not working. The point being, we're just crawling along, what are we at, six or 7% in terms of CEOs? That's 40 some years. So multiply that out. Yes, we're talking. But what we can do differently, and this is what most companies do not do or organizations, you have to use scientifically validated assessments like ours to screen in and identify talent properly. As I told you, all these women have tremendous talent as well as diverse candidates and everything. So until we start identifying talent early and understanding, yes, she has great potential and start then promoting, the same thing's going to happen because all the processes historically are subjective. It's the person who looks the part, talks the part, goes to the right school, knows the right people that get the promotions, that get the better jobs, right? That go to the right clubs, that play golf, whatever, all those things. But it's not screening in the best talent and it's leaving behind females and minorities, but it's leaving behind others because we're not the typical prototype. And even though I don't, and I honestly think People are not discriminating by intent. I I believe it's just they're trying to make good decisions. They've improved processes. You know, we do panel interviews. We do all these other things. But guess what? It's not working. So what we do in our business, you know, I own an assessment business. We help companies identify that raw talent before they even even interview anybody. This way, they don't get those built-in biases and I, and I often tell them sometimes they want to interview first. And I say, no, because you'll get hooked on candidates. And then when maybe their profiles aren't as strong as A, B, and C. Now, obviously, there's other steps in the process once you screen them with a, an appropriate assessment, right? You don't just do that and avoid. Then you're going to interview. And we even have questions based on how they score. And what we're measuring, for example, are in-depth personality traits, in-depth, as well as the risk factors, and also the, the second most important, actually, for selection is their motivation, their intrinsic motivators, their drivers and rewards. What you want to do is match people by way of their strengths, by way of their drivers. So they're really good at this and they love what they do. Then their risks don't even show as much. But what, what I'll tell you is you would be shocked at how many leaders and executives are in jobs that they don't fit very well. I mean, I'll see people, we measure a thing called leadership energy. In order to be even considered for a leadership post, you need a minimum of a 35 percentile, which is the bottom of the mid-range, because it measures from zero to 100 percentile. I see people all the time with maybe 10, 6. They're miserable. Their organizations are miserable. But because they have the MBA or because they have the PhD, they are in those jobs. So until we change and add science to how we you know, identify and promote talent and develop talent, no, their profiles are, are not bad or good. They're all positive. You just want to find what's great about that person, develop that. So that's what we do. And I'll tell you, we will be very truthful with people and say, no, leadership is not the best for you. You know, that here's the things that look really good and where you, where you shine. I did, I was interviewed years ago by the Wall Street Journal. The, I think the fellow, the uh, columnist is with Bloomberg now, but it was Jared Sandberg. He took our assessments and then he had coaching with me. He took two other companies' assessments, and one was actually Corn Ferry because he put this in the article, right? Both of those companies told him he had leadership potential. It just needed to be developed. And he reports this in the article, so I'm not saying anything confidential. And he goes, 
But Nancy said, don't even think about it <laughs> because he scored six percentile out of 100 on leadership energy. And he said, and I think she's right because my dog won't even listen to me. So, you know, point being, he was a great investigative journalist, really good at that. But sometimes we try to push everybody into leadership, whether it's good for them or not, just because they went to a certain school or they have a certain degree. So that's what we have to get away from. So then we end up putting a lot of people in jobs who maybe aren't the best candidates we have, or they might not be the best fits. doesn't mean it. Like I said, we want to put them in jobs where they'll shine. It's not about, I, I just want you to know, it's not about like a good or a bad. It's about what's best for you. Where's your true talent? How can we help you cultivate that? That's what we do. And we tell people the truth and they like that. They really like it. They don't want you blowing smoke at them. They don't want you puffing them up because they know intuitively Mm, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> so, sure, sure. so anyway, that's how we're different. That's how I view the world that until we use these types of scientific measures like ours, and there's some other firms that have them too. I'm not here to just, I'm not here doing a, a promo. I hope just to be honest with you, but it's been our life, my life's work. The assessments are race and gender neutral. So everybody's coming through. And so, yeah, it's diverse in that way, but it's also diverse in talent because what you want, for example, on, on uh, general management teams like your C-suite or other general management teams, you need diverse profiles. And we measure those that have homogeneous profiles don't perform as well. So it's also essential to get diversity of talent as well as diverse candidates. Well, so. it's, interest, it's interesting because it takes a lot of that subjective bias out and provides you with people who will be best fits regardless of what they look like, or how well they interview. You really level that playing field. Yeah, and you know, here's the funny thing. Sometimes the most awkward person, the person that perspires the most, the person that might stutter or stammer just a little on the interview, could be your star. And the other thing that happens, uh, one other thing like with HR people, I always pick on HR people since I I was an HR person. But especially now, you know, they weed out this, they weed out like resumes, like they're just throwing them against the wall, right? But there are people who have weird backgrounds because they have what we call low career focus. It's a measure we have where they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. They don't have a strategic sense of what they want to be. So they're always wondering, should I do this? Should I do that? They could be brilliant. They could be great performers, but they're just always unsure what they're best at. Well, we can help them understand that part, right? But they'll throw their resumes away because they they majored in this, then they changed or they went in a job here and then did a total different career move because they weren't sure. How many HR people will screen in somebody like that? The other thing that we've done, and this is what I'm so excited about too now, that we're doing it now with this new product, but we can find hidden talent in an organization. So those women and others that never were afforded the development or nobody really recognized what they were capable of, we recognize it. We identify it and then you can train them in that. We did a redeployment study years ago or, and we, for an energy company. And um, one, of, one of the three jobs we helped them screen for was systems analysts, like technology people. People from around the company could apply for these jobs. If they were selected, they'd be screened through our assessments, interviewed, and then they would go to boot camp training for like 10 or 12 weeks with Texas Instruments. Anyway, I, a year later, I did an article, follow-up article on the whole project. I was asked to do that. And the instructor said it was the best class he ever had, better than computer science graduates, you know, people with degrees. One of the ladies I interviewed had been a secretary, a single mom in Salt Lake City, and she gets plucked out of obscurity, sent to this, and she's great at it. Uh, now, today, she's like an executive at a Boston uh, IT consulting firm. 
And she said, and I, I reached out to her about three years ago. She goes, oh my gosh, Nancy, you changed my life. Those assessments, I would have never known that I had the aptitude, ability to do this kind of work. And she said, I'm such a natural. So I know these work, we've had it happen. So I want my, in this next chapter of my career is to help identify and grow talent at, you know, even at lower levels, though we've mostly worked at the higher levels. Now it's time for me to roll up my sleeves and, and help younger people. Kristen, you and I have had many conversations about we need to spend more time and attention working with people earlier in their careers so that they do find the thing that they're passionate about and they can grow and develop in that as opposed to ending up in a job that's just a paycheck and drudgery. You know, and the other thing with the women, like back to the book, but what's happening too is based on our risks, our careers are dead ending in our 20s and 30s for most women because they have certain risks. They don't know they have the risk, but it's undermining their success. So if we can help women not only know their strengths, but also know the risks so they can manage and neutralize them, they can sail forward. And then they know what they're really good at. So for me, and of course, Holly knows that we've developed a way that we can reach younger people now with, with feedback and assessment. So that's important to me. You know. Yeah, yeah, your cool new tool that I've seen is <laughs> You need to try absolute. it. You need to take it. I'll send you a link to take it if you'd like to. You know, and some of the feedback, just so you know, obviously executive coaching is the best. We're executive coaches, face-to-face, one-on-one's always the best. But the truth of it is, you know, 75% of most organizations of the people will never get face-to-face coaching. It's too expensive, too time-consuming, and they won't get an assessment like ours. So we've come up with a way to provide an avatar coaching. It's like AI type experience that debriefs each person's results and ties it all together. It's kind of, you'll, you'll, I think you'll be uh, kind of shocked. And some of the feedback we got, which I was pleasantly surprised, was people felt safer than a human because nobody was judging them. You know, they, they could get this feedback and feel not that we're judging as coaching, but, you know, people just have some anxiety, you know, a lot of concerns around uh, this type of feedback and psychological safety. And I think we've we've crossed that hurdle where people actually like it and they embrace it. And they can take their time, they can pause, they can go back. This world has so much opportunity for everyone. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it is. It's wonderful. The opportunities. And there's more and more. I think it's even, I think it's expanding in a lot of ways for people to do different things. And, you know, versus when we were younger, there wasn't as many paths, I think, as there are today you know, with technology and everything. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'd like to dive into that just a little bit more, Nancy, because I'm thinking about your path and I'm thinking about how you went from doing what you were doing from an HR perspective in that into female entrepreneur, you know, data researcher, AI consultant, like I'm looking at that trajectory (laughs) and I'm curious about what were the things that either inspired you or got in your way on your particular journey? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I think I was a natural, eager to learn, eager to change and make things better. So I was naturally always like looking at the, even when I was started in HR, I started in benefits and I started helping make changes to the benefits that weren't working for the retirees or weren't working. So I just had that natural, like, wait a minute, this isn't right. We can do better than that, whatever. You know, and then helping people. One of my first bosses used to say to me all the time, she would like make fun of me and go, and justice will be done, you know, <laughs> that people weren't going to be mistreated, you know, so so care for people, but also just good processes. 
And then as, as I matured in my career, you know, I, I was doing, th- I developed 360s, believe it or not, in the 80s. I mean, I'm, I'm really <laughs> dating myself, but, you know, but what happened was that I kind of, some of it wasn't planned to be very honest with you. I mean, I went into consulting because, because a job that I was supposed to get shut down. I mean, I, I was married and we were moving to, uh, to Bartlesville, Oklahoma from Tulsa. My job was moving to Philadelphia. So the energy company Phillips in Bartlesville was supposed to hire me as a senior OD consultant. In between all that stuff happening, they had their first massive layoff and that job did not materialize. So I've now got four kids. My husband's working at, the, at Phillips and I'm out. So I, decide, I, I then took a lot of classes with the local SBA or whatever and started my first HR consulting and publishing business. And the funny thing was, I didn't, at that point in my life, not, not similar to my early days, I did not have to work. You know, I, I could have stayed home and, and, and but I honestly, I, I couldn't do it. It wasn't within me. I loved the work. It was my passion. So, so, so I start this consulting business. It was really good that I did because I learned so much about copyright law, you know, business law, insurance law. I mean, things and, and business plans, things in my HR career that I'd never come across. So t- if you're going to take a step and go independent, here's my advice. Take the courses, learn how to run your business and what makes sense. And the intellectual properties law that I studied saved my later business. So thank goodness I took it. It just helped. I didn't know that it would. Then I, but then I was lonely for the big organization because I was in the middle of some, I used to be able to call out the company plane. I had a really good job at Sun Company, right? So then I went back to Williams Energy because I missed the people. So I would drive to Tulsa because I was like, after being alone, I, I wanted to go back. I still love the people, did some great work there, some fun work. Uh, we did a bunch of workshops, leadership with integrity. It's kind of how teaching coaching skills to leaders and things like that, right? So I was doing that fun work, but then we had a merger. And so I actually took a short stint then because I had been trained when I was doing consulting, I had been trained by Bob Hogan of Hogan Assessments. And I, I uh, did some projects with him on coaching and then they wanted me to come on board. So my choice was I was with Williams and we were acquiring a big company. And unless they promoted me to vice president, this was my deal. I told them straight out, if you'll promote me to the vice president, to the head, then I'll stay. But if not, I'm not staying. So then I went with Hogan. I left Williams. They were going to offer me a director, but not vice president. So then Bob and Joyce hired me as their marketing VP because I was so natural with the assessments, right? But turned out, you know, I was a terrible marketer. (laughs) I wasn't a good marketer, but I loved the business and I could develop their first certification programs. Kim and I saw this great opportunity to start our own business because we wanted to do leadership development. So back then, and that in 1998, then I negotiated with Bob to buy data that we could start our business, use their you know results, and come up with our own analysis and results. So, so that's how we started. So it kind of wasn't planned. Like I said, the job I thought I was going to dried up, so I had to find something else to do. And then I I, I was always fascinated by 360s or other assessments and, and coaching people. So that's that's how it started. And then. And it was some of my coolest work was going to the Pentagon. That's like so super cool just to go inside there. (laughs) No, I I can't even tell you how lucky and fortunate I've been. And I didn't have that plan way back when, but I just, I just knew I, uh, I loved the work. I worked hard and tried to always see if there was a way to improve things that we were doing to be fair to, you know, all those things. 
Um, and, and of course, loving, helping people, caring about people. Um, and it wasn't always easy, though, because I'm, I'm pretty um, assertive. I had been named, called Dragon Lady in the past, you know, and I was <laughs> in the pipeline by when uh, there was all men, you know, that kind of thing. I wasn't the only, there was another woman in finance that called her that too. So, so it wasn't my own name. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. Hey, the women, if you wanted to be part of the boys club, you had to act like the boys, but yet then they didn't really like that. And there were names. I always kind of, I, I guess because I was in sports and everything else. And like, I did, I, you went to the, you know, I went to a public school, so I wasn't as, I don't know. I tended to pretty much, I think, I think I still stayed a little bit truer to myself. I didn't, I mean, they would kid and make fun. Like, well, I remember one time at a, at a meeting of all the executives and I'm there and I said, you know how, when you talk to a person on the plane and this and that, they all looked at me, all the men, it was all men and me. And they all looked at me and they all looked at me. They said, you actually talk to people on planes? You know? <laughs> I think there's very interesting conversations that happen on planes. I know. And I don't do, I mean, I don't bug people, but if somebody seems kind, I mean, it's harder nowadays. I think everybody's got their head in their phones. So yeah, I was always a little different, but they, they kind of, the, the, the actual operating teams were great. It was the people behind the scenes where you had a lot of the gossipy negative politics going on, I think, but I, you know, my bosses were great, really supportive, but it was outside of that where I used to run into political nonsense. And I think that that is um, really important to understand that that happens at all levels of the organization and um, unfortunately can impact people in a pretty negative way if they don't have the coping skills to, uh, to manage that. I am really interested and fascinated by your journey to how you got to where you are. So I appreciate you sharing that part of it with us. Um, and really that happenstance of how moving from point A to point B to taking a jog around point C and ending <laughs> up someplace else. I, there's, there's one other thing I want to mention to you that I think honestly helped me be successful and, and push my way through or whatever. I, I always had this sense that I was going to do the right thing. I was going to work hard and do the right thing. And if they didn't like it or they fired me, I could find two jobs the next day. I could flip burgers. So I had this sense of, you can't hurt me. You cannot hurt me. I will do the right things. I don't care if you fire me. I'll stand up for what's right. I will do this. And if you fire me, I will land on my feet. And I think that gave me, this may sound weird, but some kind of false sense of okayness, you know? <laughs> But it really, I remember taking on like the president of this company when I first started in Pipeline, I'm like four or five layers down. And my boss and vice president, I thought we're going to pass out because this, this was really a bully president. And I just said, no, this is what we did. You know, in terms of it was about firing somebody or something. And I stood my ground and, you know, told him about the investigation and nobody in the room could believe that I took on this guy but it didn't even, I'm like, I'm going to do the right thing. You, you know, so I think it helped me get past the worry and the fear of what they could do to me and set up this little thing in my head that, you know, my first job out in high school was flipping burgers. That was a skill I had. I could do that. So I was never afraid of getting fired, which may sound weird, but you have to figure out what's your boundary. You know, what are you comfortable with? And it, then it, it just let me be me because it was always back there. Okay. 
if they really don't like what I'm doing, you know. (laughs) So as we wrap up, um, my final question really has to do with advice. We really want our listeners to take action and do something differently, think of something differently. So what are two to three pieces of advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with for taking some action and spurring some change? Yeah, I think, you know, do what you can to become really self-aware, really self-aware, know yourself, know your strengths, kind of know how you react under stress and really think about those things you you enjoy. So that's it. Self-awareness is one. Number two is do your best work. Try to do what you enjoy. And then it's not work. It's kind of fun. It's interesting. And then third, stand up for yourself. Be brave. Don't let anybody push you around. You are know how special and gifted you are. Know how wonderful you are. And you have to put on some uh, strong boundaries around yourself to not let people or gossip or anything else get at you. You can flip burgers tomorrow if you have to. You'll get back on your feet. So don't let anybody bully, push you, or or be unkind to you. It's around helping women to not be afraid to step into what they're capable of. In my view, you know, a lot of today's millennials, um, the generation behind them, they don't know these things. They don't know what you and I put up with literally yes. and Kristen as well because Kristen comes from a manufacturing background oh, she's there you go. HR so she has spent her life in a male's world pushing against these very same things being very competent but then not you know not being welcomed into the boys club because you're not a boy right absolutely uh, and what i found really disheartening was having to act like a boy to even get a seat at the table I entered the workforce at the period of time where we were talking about, you know, what color suit you should be wearing so that you looked like a man. And here was how you talked like a man. For me, when I think about that, it was, it was so limiting in the way that you could be viewed as successful. It just really took you down to a spot where you were trying to imitate And you were never going to get there, right? You were never going to be a man. And I think about the the comments and the conversations that I witnessed and the things that I put up with just to be seen as competent and to not be seen as, quote unquote, too emotional because I was a girl. All of those things. Yeah, I I remember, you know, when I started, uh, when I moved to pipelines, you know, I was uh, responsible for labor negotiations, right? And so they sent me to some labor training negotiation school. And I'm like, and it was very, it was about manipulation, basically. That's what they were teaching back then. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to be honest. I'll push back, you know, as hard as I can, but I'm going to be honest. And they were pretty nervous, but it actually went really well. And the other thing, my predecessor always took all the union reps to girly bars. I said, that's not happening. And we would go to like the baseball games. We would go bowling. And you know, those guys were actually more comfortable with that. They didn't want to be dragged into those places. So I just pushed back and they put up with me there in that that particular situation. Or they could get somebody else to do the job is the way I saw it. For younger people and others just to see, stay stay true to yourself. Keep pushing. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Yeah. Block out the noise. You're at some point you got to block out the noise. I think that's perfect. I think those are extremely 
helpful and grounding pieces of advice. And I can't thank you enough for being here with us today to to share your story and to help inspire us to continue to take action and focus on people who might need some assistance and how can we help. So I really do appreciate that perspective. You know, the world will be a better place if we have 100% of everyone contributing equally so that we've got a world that uh, we're going to be proud to leave to our grandkids. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to Uplifting Women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by UpliftingWomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.